Well, we're, we've been singing about asking God's Spirit to lead us, and yet it's not always so easy to do that, right? People are often slow to change, and by people, I'm, I, like you, am often talking about other people. Uh, I am often slow to change. I, I, and I wonder in your life what, what it would take for you to make Significant, a significant change in your life, a, uh, a major change in your life. Uh, I wonder what it would take for you to, uh, to do some things that may involve uh, a, a big break from how you have been doing them up until now. The Washington Post tells the story of Ryan Hess, and he eventually came to a place of making a big change in his life. But they tell his story this way. It was a drizzly December in Ohio, and he was yet again high on heroin. He had been that way for more hours than he could remember. The 33-year-old lay on a filthy sweatshirt beneath a piece of tent stolen from a stranger's garden shed. His socks and shoes were wet. His breath and body reeked. I was hungry and very lonely, he says. I broke down weeping like a baby. I needed help, and 48 hours later, I finally accepted it. They say that only one in 10 people who uh, suffers from substance abuse actually get the help that they need, and experts give a number of reasons why that is, uh, reasons why people resist. Uh, Many people, and maybe the majority, refuse to admit that they have a problem. Change is for other people. Uh, Change is what... Uh, people who are worse than I ought, ought, to, uh, ought to, to change. Uh, for some, the cravings feel too strong. Others fear the withdrawal. They, they know what will come after the change, and they fear that and, and what that transition will look like. And many just struggle with the shame of admitting they've got a problem. Don't want to say, I need help. I'm, I'm in need of change myself. I have to believe if, those, uh, if, if that change is uh, difficult and those reasons are, are what keep people who, uh, who have uh, issues with substance abuse from changing, I have to believe those things are true of us as well, of all of us who are in need of change. I have to believe that the same kinds of things that keep people from Uh, experiencing change are at work in our lives. And that's important because we've gathered here, I believe, to seek God's change in our life. We want to be transformed by God. We've we've sung about that this morning already. And yet for uh, each of us, the temptation will be to deny that we have problems, uh, to let fear and uh, resistance and uh, shame keep us from making the changes or even acknowledging that we need to. Uh, today we began a new series on revival and we are we're going back in time. We are going back to uh, one of Israel's kings, a king called Josiah. And Josiah teaches us... Uh, a number of things. It was a time in Israel's life where God brought profound uh, changes to the nation. 
He brought profound changes in people's lives, and he gives us something of a roadmap of how, how God can work in the lives of people who are given over to his purposes. Many people feel that change can only come when you hit rock bottom. They will use the, that phrase, you, you have to hit rock bottom before you change. But what healthy recovering uh, addicts will tell you is that rock bottom is wherever you stop digging. Uh, what they mean by that is that rock bottom is arbitrary. Rock bottom is wherever you say enough. I don't need to go any farther. I don't need to lose more. I don't need to suffer more. I don't need to cause more destruction in my life. I can choose rock bottom here, today, now. And I, I believe that's true of all of us. And today's message gives us not only an encouragement to, to do that, to, to stop digging, to, to invite God to bring change in our lives today, but it also gives us help for how, how does God then help us to take those, those next steps? How can he help us to change if we are desperate enough to start over? If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 19. Uh, in the Pew Bibles, in the rack in front of you, it's on page 306. And I'm going to read uh, from 21:19 all the way uh, to chapter 22, verse 2. 2 Kings 21, verse 19. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulamath, the daughter of Haruz of Jotbah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and he did not walk in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and put the king to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. This is the word of God. Now, this passage gives us one encouragement to, to, uh, to, to start over, to make change in our lives, to seek God's revival in our hearts. One encouragement and two helps once we've made those, uh, that decision to, to change. And so let's start with the encouragement to change. You don't have to keep digging. Here we learn that you don't have to wait to some, for someone to tell you that it's too late. Not, you don't have to wait for someone to tell you that this is so desperate that you need to make a change, that you can choose that today, this morning. If we're willing to see ourselves through God's eyes, a change can begin now. You don't have to keep digging. 
Now, I told you that we'd be looking at the life of King Josiah, but before we see his life, it's important that we back up and see where he came from, see something of his family. And we'll do that by looking first at his father, uh, Ammon, and then his grandfather, uh, Manasseh. His father, Ammon, was a king who just never stopped digging. He never said enough. And we see the the results of that. He kept sinking lower and lower until verse 23 tells us he was assassinated. His life ended very badly. In fact, his servants, who are supposed to be the people who who look up to you and trust in you and give their loyalty to you, his servants said, we cannot take any more, and they ended the king's life. In verse 26, we're told that he was buried in the garden of Uzzah. That's unusual because usually with the kings and in the kings in Judah, we're told they were just buried in Jerusalem. They were buried in Jerusalem. Here, it gives us more detail, a little bit more specific. This one was buried in the garden of Uzzah. Why does it tell us that? Because Uzzah likely here was, is referring to that man who, when the ark of God was being tumbled, he reached out his hand to grab it and so brought on himself the judgment of God. So here it's not only telling us that King Amon died, in fact, he was assassinated, but when they went to bury him, they buried him in a place of shame. They buried him in a place of disgrace. And so it's that picture that his life ended very badly. And it ended very badly because he was someone who decided he was not going to stop digging. He was going to keep and continue on in the path that he had set for himself. But the question is, how did Ammon end up there? What came before him? And to do that, we need to look a little bit at his father. In one sense, he just did what he knew. He just followed in the path that had been laid out for him uh, by his father. In verse 21, it says that he walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He just did what his father taught him to do. He followed the traditions that were handed down to him. He, he did what felt natural. He did what his, his childhood would have dictated was the right thing to do. But often just doing what you know isn't enough. Because verse 20 says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. And here the warning is that if we're not willing to evaluate our traditions, our habits, our assumptions with the brutal honesty that's willing to look at them in light of God's word, we will end up doing things that unknowingly perhaps bring great pleasure to, a displeasure to God and bring great pain in our own lives. Amon's father Manasseh, interestingly, didn't start off on the wrong foot. He started off pretty well. In fact, his father, if we go back another generation, his father was King Hezekiah, which was one of the very best kings. But the mistake that, that uh, Manasseh made was he, like many people growing up under the, in, a, in a very godly home, he just decided that his father was a little too stuffy, maybe a little too old-fashioned. And he set out to be more progressive. He was going to be more inclusive. He didn't want to be restricted by the Bible in its ways. And so he started out experimenting. 
And what began with, it, with his experiment in modernity ended in catastrophe. He, he started looking to other religions and to other gods for, uh, for his hope and his guidance and his wisdom. So much so that the scripture records that he did more evil than the Canaanites whom God drove out before Israel. Verse 6 says that he burned one of his sons as an offering to one of his new gods. Verse 16 says that he shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. And the, the reason that these two live, the, the lives of these two kings are given to us here is as a warning. It's a warning to what happens when people do what they've always, been, always done without ever examining their lives, without ever sitting down and thinking through what are the assumptions that I am living my life by? What are some of the things that I hold to be true because by default that's what I've been given, but which I've never actually examined in light of who God is and what he's revealed of himself? They're an encouragement to all of us to deal with the issues in our lives. And so I want to ask whether you are waiting for things to get worse before you would consider change in your life. Whether you, you were waiting for something to happen before you realize, no, I, I think I need to, to go back to square one and to really reevaluate things in light of who God is. You don't have to keep digging. God can bring revival in your life today. Now, if you wish you could change but feel overwhelmed by the prospect of it, then God's word here, I believe, gives us not only encouragement and hope, but gives us a little bit of a, of a, of a path of how God works in a person's life. And it shows us that God's promises are bigger than our problems. People, even in the most desperate of circumstances, can find help, uh, can find hope, because God has has so worked in his life and so showed his faithfulness in this world that his promises are bigger than our problems. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites. I, I told you that this king called Ammon was really bad, and his father before him, even worse. So you've had these two desperate, terrible kings, so, so bad that the, uh, that the servants of Ammon have, have ended his life. You understand their motivation because he was a terrible king, but you can't have anarchy, so the, 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 the people who had caused this had to be dealt with, and they were dealt with. The question is, what on earth do you do now? How would you move forward as a nation? If you were, if you were living at that time, what would you say? What would you do to take that next step? When you start over, where do you go? What do you have to hold on to? Amon had, had only ruled for two years, but his father Manasseh had, had the, the longest reign of any of the Judean kings, some 55 years. That's close to six decades of terrible leadership. And, and so it's been so long that people have forgotten what, what a, a godly king would even live like. They've forgotten what a, a, a nation without corruption, without without displeasing God, without abandoning him. They don't even remember what that looks like anymore. So how on earth would you start over? 
Where would you start? Verse 24 just says, the people of the land made Josiah his son king. And that may just sound like a, 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 a passing comment, but it's actually a profound statement. It, it's profound because Josiah would seem like a, naturally speaking, a terrible place to start over. He was an eight-year-old boy at the time. And, and he was the son of that terrible king and the grandson of that terrible king, Manasseh. Why did he start with him? Surely there were more capable people. Surely there were more godly people. Surely there were people that you could turn to to, to help lead the land. But they turned to Josiah, the eight-year-old boy. And they chose him because they'd put their hope in the promise of God. See, when the northern tribes lost a king, they would often hold something of a popularity contest to put someone, someone better in, put someone else in, someone more powerful in. And, and that's how their kings were, were chosen. But it, when you look in with, uh, with Judah, Time and time again, when the king dies, they will always install the son of that king. It was always a descendant of David as king. That's because they believed in the promise from 2 Samuel 7:16, where God promised David an eternal kingdom. They didn't know at the time exactly what that meant or all of the details, but it meant that that. God had committed himself to this line of Judah, had committed himself to the descendants of David, and when they were starting over, they thought, we have had a lot of bad, bad years here, and things are desperate, and we need to start over. They started over believing in the promise of God, even when that promise involved an eight-year-old boy who was the son and the grandson of two terrible and evil leaders. They knew if they were going to return to God, they'd have to start by returning to his promises, and that's where we need to start as well. They put their hope in him. They put their hope in the son of David. I also, I also think that something deeper was that than that was going on. I believe that they had to be intrigued by the name of this son of Ammon because his name was Josiah, and the name, it wasn't as if the, the name Josiah was all that profound. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a particularly uh, unique or unusual name. But in 1 Kings 13, 2, a prophet was sent to the northern tribes, to the, to the king there called Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, very much in the same way that Ammon did, very much in the same way that Manasseh did, Jeroboam had turned his back on God. He had given himself over to idolatry. He had given himself over to running in the opposite direction to, to, that, that God had laid out for him. And a prophet was sent to him. And the prophet came and predicted that a descendant of David named Josiah would arise in the land and he would bring renewal. He would bring revival. He would bring an end to the idolatry and he would bring a revival in the worship of the true God. They're starting over. Things are desperate. They don't know what to do. They say, let's put our hope in God's promise to bring an eternal kingdom through this son of David, even though the last one was really bad. Let's put our trust in that. And, and let's put our trust in that prophecy that 
he would raise up a leader to bring revival amongst us. A king called Josiah. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this eight-year-old boy is God's means of bringing profound change to our nation, the change that we desperately need. They put their hope in God's promise. And that was all they had. Didn't look right. It didn't, they couldn't point to this and, and list all of the great qualities of this eight-year-old kid, but they could look to God and his faithfulness and say his promises can be trusted. And this is the way the people of God throughout Scripture and throughout history, whenever they have started over, whenever they have found themselves in situations that they can't see their way through, they have looked to God and his promises. They've clung to what they have seen to be true of God in Scripture. Like the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 50, where he said, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. I can find rest in who you are, in what you have declared. In the midst of our difficulty, when fear and worry begin to overwhelm, when we don't know what the next step is, when we don't know the path forward, we cling to God and his promises. And and you have experienced this. Many of you have come to me and testified to this. You've said, "I, I I was in this situation and I didn't know the way forward. I didn't know what I ought to do. Many of you have come and said, in that situation, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It it was all that you had and it was all that you could cling to, but it gave you great comfort and assurance. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make make straight your paths. You tell me that you have clung to verses like that and found rest in them. Didn't know all that was going to come, but you knew that you could cling to a faithful God. And as I look back in times of my life, times of failure, times of sickness, times of great worry, times where I just didn't know what the next day was going to be, what what the next step was going to be, I have found God grounding me as I have leaned into his promises, as I have rested in my understanding of who he is. And, and just to be clear, when I say to lean into his promises, it's not like we're picking out the parts of the Bible that we like and, and, and just thinking about those. It, it, is, it is resting in who God, has, who God has revealed himself, what he has revealed himself of Scripture. To take the words of Scripture and to rehearse them in our mind and say, I know this to be true. I know that, that this is what I can cling to, even though there's so much that I don't know. I can trust him with what he hasn't revealed, and I can rest in what he has revealed. God's promises are bigger than our problems, and we need to learn to lean into them. So, so far we said, you don't need to keep digging. You can choose your rock bottom today by just saying, Enough. I I choose to to invite God's change in this area of my life. When you do, you believe that God's promises are bigger than your problems. You, you, You cling to what you understand to be true about God and his word. And you believe that God is faithful, that you can rest in what he said. 
And, and finally, the, this, the passage this morning encourages us that we can let God's word be our blueprint to rebuild. That, that the Bible can become our, our means to chart a new course. It can, we can trust in God's word to guide us as we move forward. It's de- demonstrated in a couple of important ways in the text. I said that there had been almost six decades of corruption and sin. Pretty difficult to... To, to, to start over when you have had that long a pattern of being just messed up as a, as a nation and under terrible leadership. So how do you think that eight-year-old king made out? How do you think after all of that, an eight-year-old boy is going to fare in leadership? Amazingly, verse 2 says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Like, how is that even possible, right? How... How on earth have, is, is change like that going to take place? Few people would have even had a memory of a king doing right in the eyes of the Lord. So it had to be that they, they, they weren't going to be able to, to just go business as usual. They couldn't just do what they had always done. They couldn't rely on, on habit or tradition or instinct. For every decision, they were going to have to go to God and to seek his will. They were going to have to search the scriptures. They were going to seek to know him through, through the Bible and through godly counsel. Obviously, while jo- Josiah was still a boy, his advisors would have to do much of this work for him. They would be searching the scriptures, and they would be training him in the scriptures. They would be teaching him from the scriptures. But 2 Chronicles 34.3 tells us that while jo- Josiah was still in his teens he began to seek God himself. There it says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Eight years into his reign, just 16 years old, he begins to to seek God for himself in a profound way. We're we're having a a youth barbecue this afternoon, and we, we believe that investing in, in our teens, investing in our youth is... Is, is a huge, uh, huge important task for us as a church because we believe from Scripture that it is at a young age when people begin to seek the Lord for themselves. For Josiah, it wasn't about his father's faith because he didn't have much to go on there. It wasn't about grandpa. He began to seek the Lord for himself. Uh, notice a phrase that he uses in Second sec- Chronicles 34.3, 34.3 here, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And some of you are thinking, Paul, I thought you told us that Amon was his father. But here the, 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 the language of, of David, his father, is, is used. The same language gets used in our passage in verse 2. There it says, he walked in all the way of David, his father. David at this point was 16 generations removed from Josiah. Like, why do you go all the way back there? He went all the way back there because he knew that if he was going to start over, he, he couldn't just do things business as usual. He knew that he needed a new pattern, a new start. And he turned to the scriptures, and the scriptures laid out in, in, for him as a king in David's life a, a pattern of, uh, of, of a path that he was to take, a pattern that would bring pleasure to God. 
And he knew that he was going to have to unlearn many of the things that he'd learned from his own father. He was going to have to unlearn many of the things that were just natural to him, stories that he'd, heard, he'd been told, things that he had been, uh, had been passed on to him. He knew he would have to unlearn them, and so he deliberately goes back 16 generations to King David and says, I'm going to start over. I'm going to figure out what it is that brings pleasure to God, and I'm going to set my heart to do that. I, I wonder if that's something that you've done in your life. I wonder if you have gone back to square one and examining your life in light of Scripture, examining the habits and the traditions and the assumptions that have been passed down to you and say, is this really good? Is this really wise? Is this really true? Is this really pleasing to God in light of his word? And if you purpose to, in your heart to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord, instead of your own eyes, Instead of the eyes of the world, instead of the eyes of, of someone else, have you purposed in your heart to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord? To give yourself to him, to live a life that is pleasing to him. And if you have, have you found some role models that you can look to? You, you may need help in relearning some things. Have you gone to anyone as, as Josiah went back to King David? Is there, is there someone that you've gone back to in, in, in a particular area of your life and, and realized, I need, to, I need to retrain myself. I need to rethink my, my, my instincts and my, my assumptions in this area of my life. It's a key way that God helps people start over. Now, I don't know where you're feeling desperate enough to start over this morning. And likely, if statistics are true, one in 10 of us are thinking, I don't think I really need to get there yet. But praying that each of us can be guided and directed by, by God. For some of you, starting over may mean starting over in your approach to your, to your marriage, to your relationships. For some, it could be your attitude towards purity. For some... It could be your attitude towards money, friendships, uh, how you speak. Uh, it, it could be your attitude towards the church. It could be your attitude towards serving, towards church membership, towards how you in, engage with the people of God. For some people, it, it may mean rethinking your entire relationship with God, your attitude towards faith in Jesus Christ, your attitude towards baptism, some of those basic steps of of obedience to Jesus Christ. Wherever God might be urging you to start over and make some change this morning, I encourage you to start where the Israelites did. Start with the promises of God. Believe that God's promises are bigger than your problems. When Israel started over after King's Amon's assassination, they started with the promise of God and specifically the promise that there is hope in the son of David. There is hope in that eternal, eternal kingdom that God promised to his line. They started with a promise of hope in the son of David and in a promised savior. But that wasn't the last time that people did that. When Jesus came to this earth, it had been over 600 years since the Jews had a descendant of David on the throne. 600 years of waiting. And yet some people still seeking to build their lives on a different hope had 
put their trust that God would still bring hope through a son of David. As people heard Jesus' words, as they saw his miracles and experienced his presence, Matthew 12, 23 says, all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Could this be the one whom God promised would come? Could this be the one that would rescue us, that would deliver us? Could this be the one that we could put our trust in and he could set us free? Jesus is the son of David who reigns on that promised eternal throne. He is the promised king. He is our rescuer, our savior. And when Jesus came, he came promising rest for our soul. Uh, He came promising peace in the midst of our troubles. He came promising forgiveness of sins. And he came promising eternal life to all who would repent and put their trust in him. We don't need to wait for rock bottom. We can choose to say this morning, enough. I'm not going to continue walking in the same direction that has caused pain in my life, that has brought displeasure to God in this area of my life. We can choose to stop digging, put our trust in the son of David, Jesus Christ, and look to him to help us to rebuild as we, as we trust in his word as our blueprint to do so. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see this morning. Help us to see our lives the way you do. Help us to see where denial tempts us to ignore. Give us the grace to change now before it's too late. Help us to examine our traditions, our assumptions, in light of your word. And I pray, Father, for those feeling overwhelmed this morning. Would you show them that your promises are bigger than their problems? Would you show them that there's hope in the Son of David? Would you help them to cling to you in faith and trust? For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.